Well, good morning. I'll move that one down. I don't think I need both of them. This morning, as I noted in the email that went with the bulletin, that I'm going to begin a short series about shadows. I didn't originate this, but I was listening to a series of sermons while I was doing some chores around the house. And this was the topic. This is a good series. It's helping me a lot, and I think it'll help us all. And of course, as I put it together and put my spin on it, and it helps me to get deeper into it, to think about it, to contemplate about it. And so, that's what I'm doing. I just want you to know the idea is not original with me. <clears throat> Jesus summed up his discourse on the kingdom of heaven parables in Matthew chapter 13 by saying the following. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Kingdom of heaven could be stated to be like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. The old things are the types, the shadows of the, that we see in the Old Testament. The New Testament is the realization of those things, what those shadows stand for. And folded in the, New, in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is unfolded in the New. Augustine put it this way in his writings, saying, The New is the Old the new is and the old contained. The old is by the new explained. So you cannot understand some aspects of the Bible without being very familiar with the Old Testament teachings. For instance, you can't understand Leviticus properly without understanding the book of Hebrews. And Daniel, you really can't understand Revelation without having an intimate knowledge of Daniel and Ezekiel. We don't really understand the Passover or Isaiah 53 without the gospel of Christ. So we could say that, as you know, the Old Testament is referenced many times as a shadow of the new. It foreshadows the new. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter wrote of one of these occurrences that we could look at today. When he said in 1 Peter chapter 3, let me find it here. I marked it. Nope, that's chapter 4. I don't want that. And he says in verse 20, they did not, and they formerly did not obey God when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of the dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Noah in the flood is a shadow years before the preaching of the gospel and salvation that would be in it. That one must be born again, John chapter 3. That one had to be born of water and spirit. That one would die with Christ and put Christ on in baptism and be raised to walk in newness of life. Paul in Romans chapter 6. There perhaps are 
hundreds, one author says maybe thousands of examples that we could look at when we think about the shadows of the new, of the old to the new. Well, in this series, we're going to look specifically at the book of Leviticus, your favorite book of the Bible, right? Hopefully this will change that just a little bit. And when you're reading through Leviticus, you will get a better understanding and you'll have a greater appreciation for the things that it's saying as it points to the new. I referenced earlier Hebrews chapter 1, or chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, well, it was here a minute ago. Hebrews chapter 10, and verse 1, says it this way. Just a couple of verses here. For since the law has been a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered each year, make perfect those who draw near. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1 comes right out and tells us that the shadows, that the sacrifices are shadows of the good things that would come in Christ. And a deeper understanding of these things will, well, it may enliven the book of Leviticus 4. It may deepen our appreciation, our understanding of exactly what God has done for us, because we'll see what he was telling the Jews they had to do, because God said, I am holy, therefore you shall be holy. And how he wanted us to live before him. So that's why we're going to study that. But before we get to the specific test, we're going to spend some time exploring the concept, the idea of shadows, as it pertains to types and antitypes. The type is the, when we had manual typewriters, and you had a little ball, an IBM, or you had another type that had a key on it, it would strike the paper. That little metal thing was the type. And what it left behind was the picture of what you wanted, the reality of what you were trying to do. So we're going to take a moment in Hebrews chapter 10, And it reads, as we continue on from chapter 10 and verse 1, Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having been once cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these these sacrifices there is reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The sin sacrifices of the old were prefigure a shadow of Christ. But a shadow demands a reality of whatever object is creating that shadow. When you see a shadow, you know that something is causing it, and whatever is causing that shadow is not the actual object. The shadow is what you're looking at. It's really interesting to watch little children, probably around the age of somewhere between two and a half and maybe a little over three years of age, when they start becoming self-aware. Now they may start looking at themselves in the mirror and they may actually recognize that that's them. But when they see their shadow for the first time, some may be afraid because this thing, if the sun is facing them, this thing, this dark thing on the ground is chasing after them. 
or maybe off to their side, depending on the angle at which they're standing. It may be much larger than what they are, but the sun is setting low, whether in the east or the west. And it gets much smaller if the sun is over them, on top of them. The shadow is dependent upon a real object, but it's not nothing, it's a shadow. So shadows have characteristics in and of themselves. The shadow on the water will have slightly different characteristics than a shadow cast on a wall or the floor or the ground. As I said, it can vary in length depending on the angle of the light behind you. And so the point I'm trying to make is that, well, is that shadows, while not the actual object, do have certain characteristics that are unique to them. How does this apply to what we're saying here today? When we compare the law to a shadow... The law is not nothing. It has its own set of characteristics. The shadow object concept, so, is a good illustration of it. When we're looking at the law or the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. So when you read the Old Testament today, the Old Covenant, you take your Bible, you open up the Old, and you read from the Old, and you're reading about the shadow. Now, you can make an identification of certain objects, By their shadow, because you know what the object looks like. And that's what it's like today with our knowledge of the New Testament, the New Covenant. When we go back and read the Old, we can discern some things about the shadow that we know because they're pointing to the realities that are found in the New. So when we know the reality, we can look back at the shadow and understand, perhaps in a small way, what God was trying to teach us. To teach his people. So this whole shadow reality concept is a good illustration that the Hebrew writer is using. Of course, we know that the object of the Hebrew writer is Jesus Christ. And so we have a couple of questions that come up from this. If the old law was just a shadow and not the object, then what in the world was it good for, for the people living under it? What benefit did they get from it if it was a shadow and really not real? Well, that's what we're going to strive to deal with just a little bit. There's also a second question. If it was just a shadow, what good is it for us today? So let's look back just a little bit to get an idea of what it did do for them. What good they did receive as though they were living under the shadow. So as we look at Hebrews chapter 10, again, to keep it in your mind, As we'll be dealing with it. And then we're going to jump to Leviticus chapter 4. Just to give you a heads up. For since the law has been. Has but a good. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. Instead of the true form of these realities. It can never by the same sacrifices. That are continually offered every year. Make perfect. Those who draw near. Otherwise they would. They have. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered. Since the worshippers having been once cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Now, many years ago, it was commonly thought that the sins that were taking place in the Old Testament and that under the sacrificial system of Leviticus were merely rolled forward, that they weren't really forgiven. And I'm certain that there are some here who have heard that. But I want you to take a look at at Leviticus with me. 
in Leviticus chapter 4 as we explore this idea. Leviticus chapter 4, and it's here somewhere, comes right after Leviticus 3. Leviticus chapter 4, just a couple of verses to get us started into this, and then we'll jump down to the end. Leviticus chapter 4, starting in verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about the things not to be done and does any one of them, and if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish for a sin offering. And then it goes through all the steps and stages, whether it be a priest, a king, a man, whether it be rich or poor, there were different levels of sacrifice and what they would have to offer. But in verse 35, this is what Moses says. In verse 35, continuing on, it says, we'll pick it up in verse 34, as they've laid their hands on it, and we'll talk about that in the future as well, they kill it, then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar, a burnt offering, and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all of its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings, and the priest shall, t- shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. Now, what does that sound like to you? That his sins were merely just rolled forward? Or does it sound like his sins were, in fact, forgiven? What's the point? If this sacrifice didn't forgive the sinner, then the text is not accurate. It's misleading. But it comes right out and says that his sins were forgiven. So Hebrews chapter 10 is telling us something about this when we look at the phrases and we need to see what they're saying. In Hebrews 10, it says the shadow system couldn't do something that was significant. It couldn't make them perfect. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these same, but in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood. No, it's in verse 1. Excuse me. It can never be the same sacrifices that are continually offered each year to make perfect those who draw near. You see, there's a problem with the shadow. It can forgive sin because... As Habakkuk said in chapter 2 and verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. And so here's what's going on. The faithful Jew hears these things. Here is the sin sacrifice. Here's what you are supposed to do when you sin. And intentionally. You go to the priest with the appropriate animal. You lay your hands on it. You kill that animal. The priest then takes the blood and offers it in the, in the appointed manner. And your sins shall be forgiven. But the Hebrew writer says, even though while the sins were forgiven, it couldn't make that worshiper perfect. It couldn't remove the sin problem. And that's completely different than saying he was not forgiven. If the animal sacrifices would have removed the sin problem, 
They wouldn't have to offer them anymore. But they didn't. They had to offer them over and over. Having once been cleansed, they would have to offer them again. So they were forgiven, they were cleansed, but they sinned again, and they have to offer a sacrifice. Once again, that was the deficiency. It could only be cured with Jesus Christ because the fact is that under the shadow, each sin required another sacrifice. The sin would be forgiven, but it did not remove the problem. It didn't perfect the person. They they sin, they sacrifice, they sin, they sacrifice, and they just keep going on. On the other hand, Jesus was the answer. He was the once-for-all sacrifice that actually took care of the problem. And after him, no other sacrifice was needed. His cleansing is continual. It's ongoing. It is able to make one perfect. It is able to offer propitiation. That's why John would write in 1 John chapter 1, My little children, we've written these things to you. Well, let me back up. I'm in the wrong verse. Let me get back to it. I'm in verse 4 and I need to be in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. Now, that's a great message. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, so you're saying, I can walk hand in hand with God, and yet if I'm walking in darkness, well, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the blood of Jesus takes place initially, cleansing us when one is born again, buried with Christ in the waters of baptism. Romans chapter 6, 1 through 4. You're buried with, you die with Christ, you're buried with Christ, and you're raised to walk in newness of life. And then as you walk with him, present tense, active verb, your your continual way of life is to walk with Christ, the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse you. It offers that same ongoing propitiation. It was able to forgive. The sin sacrifice under the law was able to forgive, but they were not made perfect. It served another thing that the shadow system did for them. It served as a reminder of their sin, that a veil that existed between them and God, that they would continually need to offer these sacrifices. And yet, what happened when Christ was crucified? The veil was torn in two from the top to the bottom, opening up the way. To God through Christ, our high priest. The sin problem had been dealt with then. Perhaps an illustration would work in this regard. How many here have a credit card? Yeah. <laughs> credit card. So you go to the store and you buy something. Doesn't matter what you buy, it could be a tank of gas, it could be a new computer, it could be a TV, it could be some clothes, it doesn't really matter. But you take out your credit card, not your debit card, but your credit card, and you purchase it. They scan the the tag on it, it goes into their little computer, and it says it'll be X number of dollars, and with tax it'll be X number of dollars your total bill is, and so you give them your card. And they give you a receipt that says you paid for it. But did you pay for it? No, you didn't. To them you have. 
But you haven't given any money for it yet that you work for. And so when the bill comes due, then you pay the credit card company. You see, that's what Jesus did for us. He paid the price. He paid the price that we could not pay. So when they offered a sacrifice under the law in Leviticus 4, they were forgiven. But they sinned again and they had to offer another one. But they were forgiven in view of the cross. That's why Paul would say in Romans chapter 3, around verse 24, 25, that he is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. He was just in forgiving those sins under the law because he was looking forward to the cross. He's the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. That's you and me. Because we have faith, we know the reality. They knew the shadow. And because they in faith offered that sacrifice, God forgave them looking forward to the cross. Their sins were forgiven. The problem was not removed, they were constantly reminded of it. And so, what we're trying to do is to take a look at this in the book of Hebrews and seeing Jesus as better... But when you think of those Jewish Christians, when they read Hebrews, when they were thinking about dealing with this and persecution was coming up against them, persecution against the church, was starting against the Jewish people to some degree, but the Jews had a lot of liberal liberal approaches with the Romans. They would give them a lot of privileges. They didn't like these Christians too well because they claimed there was only one God and they wouldn't pinch the incense and bow before Caesar. Jews, well, maybe they would say it's just a one-time thing. We'll do it and be done with it. They knew that they were God's people. They felt they were God's people. And so now you have some facing persecution and thinking, maybe if I leave Christ and go back to my Jewish roots, I won't have to suffer this persecution. And so maybe they really weren't believing it. That was their problem. But then what good is it for us? And that's why we're going to take a look at the shadow system and study this out. Because it provides a blueprint. The law, Leviticus, the priesthood, and the tabernacle, all of this, it provides a blueprint that foreshadows the new covenant. It foreshadows the priestly functions of Jesus Christ, the heavenly sanctuary, and all that's in it. A study of Leviticus becomes a Bible tool to help us understand many of the New Testament concepts that we read about. Someone has said that next to the gospel message itself is probably the most important scripture for us to learn and to understand. Now, why would someone say that? Well, perhaps because words like sacrifice, atonement, forgiveness, the understanding of fellowship between God, between man being in a covenant relationship, are not really able to be understood unless you understand them in light of Leviticus. And so that's why we're going to study this. When we better understand the shadow system, we understand then, too, how far God went to remove our sin problem. And that should inspire us to have a stronger desire to be more pleasing and to walk more like Christ each and every day of our lives. As we said in Colossians in our study today, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So over the next few weeks, this is what we're going to do. 
We're going to overview the sacrifices, the sin sacrifices first, because they restore a broken relationship, a relationship between us and God. The sin offering, the trespass offering, the Day of Atonement sacrifice in Leviticus chapter 16. And then we'll look at some of the other sacrifices. The worship sacrifices. Those are offered by someone who's already in covenantal relationship with God. The peace offering, the fellowship offering, the grain offering. We're going to look at those so that hopefully it will increase our faith. So we want to paint a picture of what this looks like. So how does it look? I sinned. It doesn't matter what the sin was, but I sinned. In faith, I take appropriate animal and I ought to take it before the priest and I offer the sacrifice. But I sin again and I have to do it again. So what's the response that we should have? How should it impact our lives today? All scripture, including the book of Leviticus, should inspire us to live better. Better today than we did yesterday. And so for a moment, I'm just going to point at myself. Because you know how it is. You point at someone and you got three fingers pointing back at you, right? You know how that goes. It's very easy to take Jesus for granted. We can take for granted what he did. I can take for granted what he did for me. At the cross each and every day. But it's when I explore the Old Testament system. That maybe I begin to realize just how much I do take him for granted. I take for granted what he did for me. I see what people went through. That lived before me. What they had to do. And I think about how that compares to me and what I have to do. And that's because of Jesus. And all that we can see is of this is because we see the shadow. And so as I close this lesson out, I found an old song written in 1863. The songwriter was a young girl by the name of Charity Lee Smith. She was in Ireland. It was a pretty popular song back in the 1860s. And there a little bit after. And I guess some group has republished it in maybe later times, but I'd just like to read the words of the song to you and have you meditate upon them. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. His name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue could bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. At one with him I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With, my Christ, with Christ my Savior and my God. That's not in our songbooks. Not in any of the songbooks that I had. I found it on the internet. It's really a pretty song. And 
perhaps one of these days I'll make the MP3 of it and play it for you as we look at this, because it really says it all. My Savior, Jesus. And the beauty of this song is that those under the shadow system of the Old Covenant could not sing it because they could not reflect on it like you and I can. But that's the beauty of it for us. It enables us as we look at the shadow system and as we think of the words of the song to see how blessed we are. We live in a time which we can know these things. Can you imagine what it would have been like knowing what we know now to live in a time when every single time we sinned we had to kill an animal and go through the ritual described in Leviticus 4? We are blessed in Christ because Christ made an end of of sin. Those who lived under that shadow system provided us with the ability to understand the depth and riches of how God did it. And that's amazing. And so hopefully this will bring us closer to Christ. Because through this brief study of Leviticus, we'll get a better understanding of what Christ has done for us. And I hope it will be fruitful to you, as it's proving to be in my life. I haven't really taught how to become a Christian. I've just looked at the shadows and noted that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. But the blood of Jesus did and made us perfect. And don't have to be offered anymore because he offered them all. At one time, good for all time. There may be someone here today who has not obeyed the gospel and needs to. You may know it. You may have been thinking about it. Maybe that someone has strayed and has decided, I just can't do it on my own. I need the prayers of my brothers and sisters in Christ to help me along this journey. I don't know your situation, but God does. And you might too. If you're subject to his invitation, won't you please come to Jesus? While together we stand and sing this song for your encouragement. When we walk with the Lord. Blessed 
thanking you for this time we've had to come together and worship you without fear of persecution. We ask that it may always be so. We're thankful for all the wonderful blessings that you've given us. We're most thankful for your plan of salvation. That we can have eternal life with you. We ask that you be with those that are sick that have been mentioned here. That you be with them, heal them if it's within your will, and comfort them. We ask that you be with those that are traveling, that you grant them safe journey. We ask that you guide, guard, protect us, and procure us for us. In Christ's name, amen. I didn't know what was it but you were fairly good.
Probably warmer today. It's supposed to be 80 next week. But the uh, humidity 
the clouds came in and uh, that made it a little bit cooler. It's 65 right now according to this. It's supposed to be a high of 70 today. But 70s all week. Wednesday 76. Friday 80. Saturday 84. So the 10 day forecast is today the lowest day. 70 and 84 the highest on Saturday and Sunday and 83 on Tuesday. So it's going to start getting hot. Yeah. And I'm still stuck here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hate the summers. I'm from Kansas originally. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. The winters are great. You know, you don't have to shovel snow. You have to shovel a lot of sunlight.
Rosa? Someone was telling me that we have equipment here to fix it. We have a one. Man in here. Yep, the overflow there. Looks like it's yeah, it's more wet, but it looks like the I 
Okay, thank you. Is Randy no. a bottle of water and a dog?
کرتے ہیں
maybe even coughing, but we haven't been to a doctor yet. Yeah. Well, Brian, I'm trying to verbal. Yeah, it's fine. Good, good. All right. Bye-bye.
you guys have a good idea of how to get Minx to go in her little cafeteria? Because I wanted to get used to it.